awesome privilege of announcing um, my dad is actually here to speak this morning. I'm pretty excited about that. If you've ever heard my father speak, just wave your hand at me very quickly. Uh, if you're not, you're in for just a, I don't know if the word is treat is applicable here, uh, but we're, I'm just absolutely thrilled. My dad pastors a church in Buffalo, New York. Um, actually just moved there after 19 years of uh, where our sending church launched us about four years ago to start City Lights outside of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. My parents were there 19 years, but my dad is homegrown here. He is actually from Dunmore, which is just about a mile and a half from here. And this morning he's going to be preaching. Dad, could you come forward this morning? Can we welcome him a good City Lights welcome? Amen. Let it rip. (laughs) Wow. Well, the last time I was here, you were not as strong in number as you are today. And I didn't have a head cold. So if I sound a little odd and strange, um, just thank you for enduring that. And I'll try not to, like, infect you all with that, you know. It is really good for Marilee and I to be here. And uh, so happy to be with Jared and Aaron with... uh, this incredible leadership team, and to see what God is doing. Aren't you happy? Aren't you celebrating the good things at City Light? We really are. When we, uh, when we heard about the building and, and then, you know, walked through this back in the day when it was kind of like a dream, and now to see the seats filled and to see so many of you growing in the gospel, it, it couldn't be better. And we're just so happy. We serve, you might not know this, but there is a leadership team that Jared is accountable to. I'm one of four different leaders uh, from Ohio, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, where else are we? In Buffalo and somewhere else. I don't even know. Anyway, yeah, two Ohios. And uh, so this is a really a great accountability. Jared is accountable and transparent with regard to his leadership, to those who have some seasoned ministries the same way I am. Uh, you don't ever want to have, you can't have authority in the kingdom unless you're under authority. You never can be somebody unless you're under somebody. And so uh, in that walk and in that relationship, before decisions are made and things, there's always these conversations and conference calls and these kinds of things with regard to the furtherance of the church. So you can feel very, very safe, very covered. Uh, it's not just so, you know, some guy in, has a, you know, Messiah complex or something like that. It's really about a, a vision to grow a church for the glory of God here in Scranton. Um, Jared mentioned, and I want to share just a little bit about my testimony because I did. I grew up about two miles from here, 405 West Drinker Street in Dunmore. I was a good little Catholic kid. No, I was a bad little Catholic kid. Um, I'm not here to rail on Catholics. I honestly, um, I can't ever really say I was a practicing Catholic. I was raised in it. I had my first Holy Communion. I had this little picture of, that looked like a saint, but I was a little devil. I was a little devil. In fact, I can remember when I would go to confession, I would lie to the priest because I thought if I ever really told him what I was doing, he would reach through the screen and like pull me out and take me to my parents and say, look at, do you know what this kid is doing? You know? So I used to go in there and I would say things like this, bless me, father, for I have sinned. My last confession was three weeks ago. It was like three years ago. And I say, you know, and I'd say, I wasted food. Like, that was my big sin. You know what I mean? Because I figured he couldn't get mad at me if I wasted food. You know what I mean? But if I really told him what I was doing, I thought it'd be over. 
I grew up in a house where my uh, sister was like the, you know, and still, she's a beautiful girl and just a, a wonderful sister and a great aunt to uh, Jared and his brothers. And, and uh, um, But um, she was like the, the valedictorian of Dunmore High School, you know what I mean? And, and uh, I grew up two years behind her, and, and all I ever heard from any teacher was, why couldn't you be more like your sister? You know what I mean? Anybody have an older brother or sister like that? You know what I mean? Why can't you be? Why can't you be? And I said, I don't know. You know, I just, I can't. And I, I didn't do good in school because I had this thing where teachers would say to me, now, you know, you could do better and I know you could do better. And I thought, good, that's good enough. As long as we're agreed, that's, <laughs> that's all it takes. I don't really have to do much more. We're all on the same page. Good enough. You know? But I grew up, uh, my, dad, my dad lost his parents um, and to the flu, uh, my, kind of a long story. I was actually born in a car on my way to the hospital in Scranton. They didn't make it. And so I was born in a Pontiac. I really was, in the backseat of a Pontiac. And my mom was 43 years old when I was born. I'm, I'm 57. I'll help you with the math and all that. You know, I was born in 1956 on 9 So I was an emergency from the day I was born. All right. And so I was born in a car and I was like, uh, they didn't know what to do with me. You know, they, my mom was 43 and all of a sudden, and like then, you know, I was born in 56. The Beatles landed in like 62, 64, whatever it was, the whole world changed, you know? And so I kind of got, my parents were a whole other generation, didn't know how to handle me. My sister was like, you know, the trophy girl. And I was like, you know, I just couldn't do much right. My dad had lost his parents to the flu, and uh, he was raised by an aunt. He had to leave, had to leave school after sixth grade. So he he was just a he didn't know how to be a dad that much. I mean, I knew he loved me, but I never could do anything right. I don't know if you ever know what I'm talking about, but I could never do anything right. The standard was always being raised. My dad would, say, you know, I'd try to help him, and it was never enough. Get out of here! Get out of here! That's all I ever heard. So when I was young, I got out of here. And even though I had the Catholic background and upbringing, I just never really understood. I mean, they told me you're saved and you know Jesus. And I was like, really? Okay, I guess, you know. And uh, I, um, when I was uh, young, there was a lot of, lot of alcohol in our house. And so uh, not hard to, to, to swipe some of that. And as a young kid, like 10, 11 years old, started into that. And then the drug culture hit. And so when I was 13... Uh, this is really weird, but um, I didn't want to smoke pot because, like, I had this aversion to cigarettes because my dad smoked cigarettes, and I didn't, like, I didn't want to smoke anything. So instead of that, I dropped acid. So anyway, that was supposed to be a joke right there. Anyway, I didn't want to smoke something, so I, like, I dropped LSD, and that was became, like, the drug of choice. And I spent, like, eight years of my life blown out of my mind in every kind of drug that I could put into my body. The only thing I never did was stick needles in my arm. I was a chicken. But I, uh, it, thank God it was scary. And, uh, but I had friends, everybody else. And I just got into this crazy drug culture. It was easy because in the drug culture, there was no expectation. And I could never meet the expectation anywhere else. I wasn't, didn't consider myself intelligent, so I didn't, couldn't move with the scholars at school. You know, I wanted to be a jock. I wanted to be a sports guy. But when I would go out on the field, I would tell my body, dive for the ball, and my body would go, no, we're not diving. We don't dive. 
we don't dive. You dive, I don't dive. And I still to this day, like if everybody else says, slide, I'm like, no, I don't slide. My body doesn't do those things, you know, so I couldn't do it. And then, of course, you had the motor heads, the guys that were in the cars, and I wasn't mechanically inclined. And then, you know, then there was those, like, like here in this house, like the John Scritchfields and the others who can, like, boom, you know, and skillfully craft things and do all that. You know, I, I had none of that, you know. I still do have my ten fingers. But anyway, I couldn't do any of the tools, you know. And, uh, and so it was just really easy to get in with the heads, the druggies, because there was no expectation. Everybody was like, you're cool, I'm cool, we're all cool. And I got into, the, got into the crazy drug world and all that. And uh, here, here, right here in this community, you know, never heard the gospel. What's so wild about this is in the city that I got addicted to drugs, my son has now established a church and is preaching the gospel and getting people set free. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? And, and, and see, the drug thing was just really a cry for significance. It was like trying to find acceptance, trying to find people. It was trying to, you know, trying to find a purpose, trying to find, you know, looking for life. And I can remember, literally, I mean, I knew, I knew I was empty. I knew I didn't have an answer. I knew. I mean, I honestly, and the, the, back in the day, uh, you, you might not know this, but Nayok Park was like the hangout. That was where all the heads hang, hung out, and that's where we lived. That was where we dealt drugs and bought drugs and everything else. And there was this cult that came through Scranton in the day. They were called the Forever Family. And they had a house on um, Mulberry Avenue, um, Mulberry Street in Scranton. And uh, I tried to get into the cult, but I was so messed up, I couldn't get into a cult. They didn't want me. Like, they were like, I, I, that's like my, my resume. I tried to get into a cult, and they said no. Like, no, you're just too messed up. We don't need you. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, was, I would deal drugs, but I was not a, a moneymaker. I just wasn't smart enough for all that. And, uh, and so, but I dealt to use, and then one day, a kind narcotics agent, who I will not name, but I don't even know if he's still, but he was in the region here, came to me and he said, if you want to be around, you don't want to be around anymore, which meant there was a bust coming down. And he knew that I was a low-level player and that I was going to get taken in it. And the next morning, out of fear to get out of town, I enlisted in the Coast Guard. I ran for my life. I went to Wilkes-Barre, PA, raised my hand, and I said, I do. I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know. The, the recruiter didn't lie to me. He just looked at me and he said, this is the day you die. I was like, okay, I want to die. Yeah, that's what I want to do. You know, this is back in the, you know, this is back in the day. Uh, you know, I had hair down the middle, you know, you know heavy, you know, carried heavy picket signs, wore earth shoes. I mean, it was a different day, you know. And, uh, and they, took, they took me and they, they brought me and I, I went off to boot camp for 10 weeks. And, and you can find Jesus in boot camp. And so all of a sudden, like, I was, like, going to chapel, like, because I was, like, I just need to find out what in the world's wrong with me. But then, worst thing of all things, they sent me to San Diego, California after 10 weeks of boot camp. And San Diego, California is like on the border of Mexico. And that's not good when you're a drug addict. And so, boom, the whole world, California, everything just opened up. I spent a year there and then on board a cutter, which ironically did drug patrols. I was the boarding officer (laughs) busting people for drugs. And I was the only guy they didn't search when we came back on the boat. What's wrong with this picture? Okay, never mind. It was a crazy life. So I'm on this cutter for three years, and in my, with six months left, I get a letter in the mail from a guy. When I went into the Coast Guard, he went into the Navy. 
And he sends me a letter and he says, I found what we're looking for. It's Jesus. And I went, oh boy. The guy's flipped. He's gone. I mean, we've heard about these, you know, people who take too much and they never, you know, they go on the eternal trip. They just never land again. I thought, man, Jesus. But he sent me this tape of a tape. Now, they, they were back in the day, they had these things called cassette tapes, okay? They were long ago, right, and far away. They were these little things that spun around and they just, you know, anyway. And, and he sent me this tape and I was laying on board this ship and I'm listening to this music and it's talking about freedom and forgiveness and joy and peace and mercy and grace. And I'm broken and busted and disgusted and bound. I mean, literally, I've been at this thing, you know, pressing nine years of emptiness and loneliness and and this music, because I was a crazy music person. I mean, this was the day of hard rock, you know what I mean? Everybody from Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin and The Who and everybody else, I mean, I baptized myself in in all of it. And that's who, that's what where my life was. And and here was this incredible music because all I thought was church was was what I remembered when I grew up. You know, you went to church and you sat there and you kind of went through motion and then you left, but there was never anything internal. Nothing had ever changed. And I, I don't know how it happened. It's a long story, but over a short period of time, I ended up saying to God one day, because I didn't know how to pray, I didn't understand anything about the Bible, anything, nothing. If you're here today and you're like, I am biblically illiterate, so was I, Come totally, completely, knew nothing, nothing. I didn't know anything from generations to revolutions, none of it. I knew nothing in the Bible, none of it, all right? None of it, none of it. And so if you're here today and you're like, wow, they talk about the Bible in here, and they're like, I don't know if I can do that. You can do it, believe me. You can do this. God will help you. You don't have, you know, it's not all about, you know, degrees and everything else. It's really about a heart hunger. And so I just prayed a prayer like this. I said, God, if you want my life, you can have it because I don't want it anymore. That's all I knew to say. If you want my life, you can have it because I don't want it anymore. And that was my prayer. And that was October 17th of 1978. Boom, before you were born. Boom, God, transform my life. And I didn't go through any 12-step programs, and I'm not against them. I'm just telling you that everything I was looking for, everything I was searching for came in a moment of time. I said goodbye to the drug world. I said goodbye to the party life. I said goodbye to it all. But not because it was like, well, I can't do that anymore. No, it was like I found something that was so powerful and real and significant. I found what I was searching for. You know, and there's, there's a, a teaching called the expulsive power of a new affection. It's like when you find this new lover, like this perfect lover, it's like old lovers don't count anymore. It's like that doesn't even hold a candle to what I discovered. How many know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden it was like, boom, transformation in my life. And from that point forward, I st- then I started to like realize, wow, the Bible, the Bible. Now this is, this is scary. Because I remember the Bible when I was a kid. I remember like when, when, when I was searching, I would walk over into my father's bedroom and my father had like this high dresser and on top of the dresser he had all these statues of saints and I have these images of my dad as he would kneel or lean up against that at night and he would pray and he would just pray and you know kind of t- and, I, and on there was this big Bible. I'm not talking about a Bible. I'm talking about Bible. 
How many know what I'm talking about? Like one of those Bibles. I mean, you know, it was like this, like you could hurt somebody with this thing. You know what I mean? I was like, and I would go over and I would take it over into my room because I was like, this might be it. The answer might be in here. But it was not just scripture. It was like all these other things that they had added in that help you to understand that. And I would just turn it and I'd be like, I can't find it. I can't. I don't understand. Some friends took me to a Christian bookstore. I'll tell you how illiterate I was. They said, we're going to get you a Bible. I said, a Bible? Really? Me? A Bible? They took me into a Christian bookstore, and I walked in, and I saw the music and the books and everything else, and I said, wow, how many of us are there? I really thought, like, I might have been getting in on the ground floor of this whole thing of Christianity. Like, I thought I might have been, like, one of the first to discover this. That's how ignorant I was. But God, you know, took me from that point forward, began to restore my life, brought me into relationship with Merrily, which was what an incredible merging of lives because Merrily grows up in a pastor's home, loving God from a little girl all her life, never involved in any of the nonsense and the craziness that I was involved in. And the Lord uses us and brings us together. She taught me so much and about worship and about loving Jesus and setting him first. And then God blessed us with sons. And, uh, you know, they told us they would never have kids. Remember, we went to the doctor. We, we, we weren't able to have any children. We were married for five years. We wanted kids. And the one doctor said, tell me, he's about your drug history. He said, well, even if you have kids, he said, because of all the drugs you've taken, he said, your children, you're, you're just never going to have a healthy kid. And I'm like, wow. When I look today at three boys that are just rack, you know, rocking the kingdom of God with incredible minds for the glory of the Lord, I think only God's grace and restoration. And so I want to encourage you to, today, wherever you come from, you know, and it might not be the drug thing. You'd be plugging anything in. Somebody said there's like a Christ-shaped void in our heart, and you try to plug everything in there. And, it, you know, maybe it's not the drug world. You're like, man, you're an idiot for going there. I know that, and, you know, I understand that. But then there's people, you know, they're plugging in the, 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 the sports world. Or you're pr- plugging in your relationships. You're trying to make somebody else a god in your life or trying to find perfection in someone else. We're all trying to fit that in until the day we finally, I love the songs we sang today, we rest in Jesus. No more striving. You know, the gospel comes. We receive the free gift of what Jesus did for us. We begin to find our whole joy and significance in him. I'd like to take a couple of minutes. Can you give me 10 minutes if I talk real quick? Because I do feel like I don't want you to walk out only with a testimony. I want you to walk out with a scripture and, and, and if, 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 who will give me 10 minutes, 10, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, I'm good. We're going to be here for a while. I know somebody said, you know what? You can preach, you know, preach till 1230. We, we leave at noon. Go ahead. All right. But let me share this scripture with you. It's in Psalm 113. I'd love for you to know this Psalm by the time you leave today and, um, just have some familiarity with it. Psalm 113 and verse, verses 1 through 9. They're going to be projecting the uh, ESV. I'm going to read from a different translation, but it should, should all work together. It says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth, and he raises, here's my verse right here, this is it, verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust, but now let me just really tell you what that word is. It's dung, 
It's manure. You know, you can fill in the blanks there. He raises the poor out of the dung. And he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. And he settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. And my wife can say to that, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. The psalm as it begins in the opening verses, starts with this phrase, praise the Lord. It's the word hallelujah, hallel, yah, Yahweh, God, praise God. And the fact that it opens and closes, the psalm begins with that phrase and it ends with that phrase, tells us that our whole life, not just Sunday morning, but our whole life is to be encompassed and encircled with heartfelt gratitude to God for what he has done for us. This is the thought in verse number three where he says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Every single day we are to live with this gratefulness and appreciation for who the Lord is. This picture of ceaseless praise, if it, if it were possible, for all of us to take our energies and our our times and our tongues and in one concerted effort continually offer the sacrifice of praise verse number two says both now and forevermore notice it says the name of the lord be praised now the the, it says that over and over verse one praise the name of the lord verse two let the name of the lord be praised verse three the name of the lord is to be praised when the scripture talks about the name of god it's talking about All that God is, everything that God is, is in his name. It's talking about his nature, his characteristics, his attributes. The name of the Lord. In other words, I say it's just not lifting up the name of Jesus. I'm lifting up all that God is, and I am responding to who he is. In the Old Testament, books of Chronicles and Kings, you find out about the city of Jerusalem and the building of the great temple there. God said, I will put my name there. What does he mean? I will put everything I am is available there. All of my attributes, all my characteristics, everything I am is available to you. When we pray, we pray in Jesus. Now, when we say that, we're, excuse me a second, when we say that, we're not just saying, you know, when I say in Jesus' name, that's not like the clue to everybody else that I'm getting ready to close. You know, it's like, okay, must be finished in his prayer. He said, in Jesus' name, there's the hint. Get ready, say amen. No, what I'm saying is, when I say in Jesus' name, I'm saying on the basis of everything that God is in Jesus, of all of his attributes, characteristics, nature, and everything else, when I say in Jesus' name, it is, a, it is that understanding that the name of the Lord represents all that God is. Do you get that? All right? Now watch how this continues. In verse, in verse number four, the author comments about the exalted nature of the Lord. He says, The Lord is exalted over the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits on enthroned on high? And he has to stoop down. This is how cool it is. God is so exalted, he has to look down to see heaven. He is so high. He is so great. He has to look down to see heaven. He manifests his presence. He exercises his power. He makes known his goodness and his great 
grace according to this scripture throughout all ages in the highest heaven and over all the earth. He says in verse 5, who is like the Lord our God? The totality of the nations is great, but the name of the Lord is exalted above them. The heavens are glorious, but God's throne is above the heavens. He is the supremely exalted one. Notice this now. Well, the, the, the important thing that we see about this, this God is that God is the only self-sufficient being in the entire universe. God is the God who doesn't need anything from anybody. There's this teaching out there that says, why did God make man? Well, God made man because God was lonely and God needed to talk to somebody. So he created man so he would have fellowship with man because he was very lonely. No, no, no. God was eternally satisfied in the beautiful relationship that he enjoyed in himself in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was no lack, no need. There was no loneliness. It was not about God saying, oh, what am I going to do? I'm so lonely here in eternity. Let me make somebody to talk to. God has no need. He is not someone that we minister to his need. But God is a God of love, and because he enjoyed in the Godhead such a beautiful relationship, he, because he is love, he wanted to share that relationship with every one of us. And so God created man. And since he is the supreme God over all, and he is exalted to the highest place, there is nothing above him, there is nothing beyond him, no one can promote him, no one can demote him. I talked to him this morning, he has no plans to resign. He's God, eternal, exalted, above the heavens. The Bible says that he holds all things together, and it presupposes that if he's the one holding all things together, no one's holding him together. I said, I talked to him this morning. There was no perspiration on his forehead. He's not worried about what's going to happen in the earth. He's not nervous. But he is in control and he is in charge. And the Bible tells us that he is the eternally self-existent I am. I love this in the scripture. You see these passages in the Bible where God breathes. God breathes. And God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Bible says he breathes out threatenings against all unrighteousness. The Bible says the scripture is the inspired word of the God-breathed word of God. You know what I notice in the scripture? He is so self-sufficient that God breathes out, but he never inhales. He never has to go, he never has to catch his breath. He he never depletes himself in any way. There isn't anything you or I can give him. This is why even in our worship this morning and giving our offering and uh, offering it to the Lord, it it, it wasn't like, oh God, we we better pay you. We better meet the need in your life. We better do something. God doesn't need our service. He is the self-sufficient, supremely exalted Lord of heaven. Look again at verse number five. He says, who is like the Lord our God? who sits enthroned on high. But here's the thing that blows my mind. Verse number six, the one who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Because what evokes such praise from the psalmist and what you and I should live with this day and every day of our life 
It's not just this awareness that God is supremely exalted and the God of heaven and the God of earth, but what should blow our minds, what should stun us and should shock us is the fact that this God who is so supremely exalted took the time to look down upon the earth and to look upon you and to look upon me. That's the thing that that says, wait a minute, because it might not have been so. What would you or I have done if this God who's so great and self-sufficient had simply turned his back on all of us in our sin? What could we have done about it? What, what can the clay say to the potter? How do we begin to even respond to that if God were not to, to have taken us upon his heart? And again, God doesn't do it because it's necessary for him to find fulfillment Because there's a need in God that man will fulfill. God doesn't need us in that way. He has no necessary relationships, but he has voluntary relationships that he has invited you and I into. Can you say amen? Now the word amen, when the preaching is happening, means if I had the microphone, that's what I would say. All right? So amen means that's right. And what that does, let me tell you about interacting with with Pastor Jared or Pastor Jesse when they're ministering. When people come to the congregation and they hear a guy with a microphone up in the front saying these things, they feel like, well, that's his opinion. But when a congregation moves together in the ministry of the word of God, affirming what is being declared, there's a power in that, in that affirmation. That everybody, that person sitting there who's went, maybe wondering, is Jesus really the answer to my life? Is he really going to bring significance to me? All of a sudden I realize there's a hundred people around me going, yeah, that's exactly right. Amen? There it is. There it is. So here, here we are. Th- this whole picture is that God who is maker, who, uh, who has not been made by anyone else, God who is giver, who cannot be given anything of necessity, is not looking for something to meet his need, but this God who is so supreme and so great and so awesome looks down upon us. Now watch this. He doesn't look down upon us just to pity us. He doesn't look down to us and say, well, you're just in miserable condition." He doesn't look down upon us just to study us. (laughs) Well, let me just see what this creation is that I've made. But he looks upon us to redeem us and reconcile us and restore us to himself. This is what he says in verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Why? So that he could raise the poor from the dust and lift the needy from the ash heap and sit them with princes, even princes of his people. Where is this condescension of God where he looked upon the earth and came to us to restore us and redeem us and lift us out of the dung? It's in the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God. How do we even fathom the fact that God sunk himself into our flesh? God became man. You say, well, that'd be like me becoming a worm. Oh, no, no, no. If I were to become a worm, that is creation still becoming part of creation. This was creator coming into creation. How do we even begin to fathom 
the ultimate condescension of this God who not just looks upon us and pities us and studies our miserable condition and our lostness, but he comes to us in his Son, our Savior Jesus, who goes to Calvary and takes upon himself your sin and my sin and the payment for all of us in order that we might be reconciled and redeemed freely back to God. This is what Philippians says, Jesus, who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to, but instead he made himself nothing, made himself a servant, being made in human likeness. In the appearance of man, he humbled himself, he stooped low, he came from that exalted position. He came to this earth to live a perfect life that you and I could never live. And to die an atoning death at, at atonement, atonement, at one moment, to bring us into oneness with God again in relationship with Him. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, the nature of man is evil and seeks to destroy, but the nature of God is holy and it seeks to redeem. And so here I am, wiped out of my mind in drugs and alcohol with no significance, no identity, trying to shape my life into something for somebody, wiped out from any hope and possibility of ever being a success in life. And God sees me in my desperate condition and sends me one thing, a word, that if I will receive and if I will believe, my entire life and future can be redeemed and my life can make sense. This is the God who is here, and I love the way it closes. He says he makes the barren woman a happy mother of children. In other words, that barrenness, death, is as is, is, is difficult of any situation anyone can find themselves in. So it's, he's saying here, no matter how impossible your world may look, God wants to step into the middle of it. And this is why he says at the end, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let that be something, you know, I know you don't want to become religious fanatics, but listen to me, you've got to become, the, well, you do want to become religious fanatics. I, I want to become more than, I, I am, I'm taken with this. I remember when I went to Penn State and, and one of my professors said, Ronnie, they tell me you're very religious. I said, man, they said, are you a Jesus freak? I said, yeah, that's a lot closer. So I'm in all the way. I'm in all the way. But here's what I want to learn, ask you to begin to do as a congregation, begin to do as a, as a believer. This psalm of hallelujah, praise the Lord. I would love to hear you get to the place of confidence in your life where you could praise God loud enough that you can hear yourself praise him with your own ears. It's one thing to say, you know, I don't think he was like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. He lifts the dead. That means I came out of hell when you come walking out of hell, you've got to shout that you just want to release to the world. And so I'd like you to stand with me this day. And I, 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 I do want you just to begin to thank God in your own way. There's no pressure here to perform, by the way. And you don't get extra points. <laughs> you don't get extra points. You don't get extra points because you stayed longer listening to me. You don't get extra points. Jesus put all the points that we needed before God. We all have a, a passing grade this morning in Jesus. Can you say amen? I'm not adding anything to his atoning work. I'm just thanking him for it. And I'm, I'm blessing him. If, you, if you've never done it, you know, the, the lifting of your hands is the universal sign of surrender. 
If somebody puts a gun to your back, your hands go up automatically. Well, nobody has a gun to your back today, but they, the Lord is extending his heart toward you. And if you're comfortable doing it, no pressure. But would you just take a moment now just to say praise the Lord? Would you do it loud enough to hear yourself praise him with me? Just go ahead and, and enter into that, just an expression of gratefulness to God. If, you, if my story touched you today, if you're realizing that God is your answer, would you begin just to express that to him right now? Father, I thank you for this beautiful congregation. I thank you for every single person who is here this morning. I thank you for what you are doing at City Lights Church. I thank you for the great leadership. I thank you for the advancement that this congregation is making. And we lift our hands in our hearts and our voices right now and we say you're good and what you do is good thank you that you did not leave us in our sin and degradation you did not leave us in our despair whether it was drugs or alcohol or sex or whether it was money and career and family or whether it was even self-righteous religion or unrighteous sin whatever it was god we were plugging stuff into our lives and it was a mask. It was a, it was a sedative to, so we didn't have to feel. It was an epidural so we didn't have to feel the pain of our life and what was coming from us. But today we are here with joy and thankfulness and gratefulness. Lord, you're at work in our lives. You're not just looking at us to study us or to pity us, but you're involved in every situation and circumstance. I pray for my friends, and you know each and every one of them, and you love them with an eternal, unconditional love. Thank you, God, that they can turn their heart toward you, and you will not come against them with fists and boots. You will not pound them. You will not judge them, for you have already judged them in Jesus at the cross, and you will extend your mercy and, and grace to them as they reach out to you. Would you do that right now in this sanctuary? Just lift your heart toward God. Lift your hands and say, God, I've never done this before, but this is my surrender to you. I realized this morning that you are the exalted God. You're the great God over all gods. There is no one like you. And I give you my life. I surrender who I am and all that I am to you and to your glory. Thank you that you received me this morning. And thank you that you changed me. I pray now, Father, that you will help me to understand your word and that I will grow in the grace of God and in the goodness of the Lord and all of your mercy. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Would you put your hands together and just celebrate the goodness of God for a couple of moments?